Hey, welcome to the Art Condition Podcast, a weekly show that will discuss the business, community, and often undiscussed stress and mental health concerns of being a professional artist or even a serious hobbyist. I'm Joby. I've been in the tattoo and illustration professions for 25 years. My co-host is Moose, a data analyst, social media manager, and art agent. If you enjoy the content, please consider visiting the Patreon page and the show notes to help support the effort. Or if that's not an option, please like, subscribe, leave a good review, or just share with your friends. And definitely go visit the links of our guests on this episode. Thanks for listening and have a great day. This week, we are talking to Scuba, Steve Myers. Scuba has built a career from scratch in the world of indie comics, relying entirely on freelance work. We talked to him about how we got into the world of indie comics and how we started finding work. For a lot of people, when they think of comics, they think of the big publishers like Marvel and DC. For artists who have a strong passion for drawing or creating comics, there's a whole world of opportunities outside of those mainstream big production houses. This conversation will help us understand more about what those options are and how to pursue them. You don't have to be limited by the intensely competitive jobs of the highest profile titles. There's plenty of work in a variety of other outlets if you know where to look. The only thing you need is your skills and the love for creating sequential art. We also touch on a subject that has been coming up more often, and it surrounds the idea of artists' unions and how artists can form coalitions to advocate for fair pay and fair treatment. During this conversation, we actually stumble on an idea I think could really have some potential. It follows the model of talent agencies and the way that artists in other fields find work through representation. But enough of me talking. Let's listen. To jump right into it, uh, give us a little bit of a background on yourself. How did you get into art and what nailed you to the floor and made it inescapable? Oh, man, well, probably the inescapable thing is probably what got me into it. I just remember uh, drawing from like a, just a young age. I mean, I mean, I remember sitting in like a, one of those high chairs, old wooden high chairs and like coloring and just like that was it, you know, um, uh, skipping school, playing sick to make comics, you know, cause I had an idea the night before. So I was like, well, I'm going to have to be sick in the morning. Just like so stay home and get this idea out, <laughs> but, you know, uh, just getting that bug from an early age. Um, interesting enough, I, I learned that a symptom of maybe ADHD is, uh, like scribbling while you're listening to help you be a better listener. And uh, so I was doing that all through school, and I just thought I was getting straight A's all the time. But it was just like so therapeutic to just be always, always drawing constantly. And uh, yeah, that was it, man. It was just that's that's always no matter what I was doing, going out, you know, bonfires or hanging out with friends. It was always like just let me see if I can get a sketchbook out here at some point and just start drawing while everybody's hanging out. So. Might as well get paid for it, right? <laughs> Might as well find a way to uh, to make a living with it. And uh, I've been doing that for about seven years, about full-time now. Did you go to art school, or has it all been kind of self-guided, self-educated? Uh, I would say I would say self, self-educated, although 
I think I think with that term, like I really want to give a lot of credit to all those people that put videos on YouTube and stuff like that. Um, lessons like that stuff, because I think those are are really legitimate teachers that uh, artists um, can learn from now. I did do I don't know. I don't know if you guys sorry but to finish this. I did too. Um, you remember those like 3 a.m. Uh, videos at the Art Institute where the dude was like drawing the turtle and the pirates and you had to send in in the mail. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did actually try to do that. And, uh, yeah, I did. I did yeah, too. I wouldn't even do that in education though. <laughs> but that's that's about the only schooling I've, I've done for art besides like the online, you know, which is which in itself is just a beautiful, beautiful thing for artists. It's, it's, it's like a university right at your fingertips of people offering affordable or free content. Um, I was going to say, oh, it's amazing how uh, close the content that people put out there for free is compared to the uh, the actual university level education they uh, provide you know, actual, at actual establishments. It's the same stuff. It's just that people don't believe it's the same stuff until they hear it from the um, person that's actually has a university of or college of next to their name. So it's pretty incredible, like the amount of stuff that you can find out there right i mean i know like david finch uh he's got his own youtube channel jim lee um they've like they've all got content on there and those are like professionals like what would you you know you how much would you pay if you call college ivy league school was like hey there's a professional one of the highest professionals in their field ever is a teacher here um and you know you can take their course here's a form to fill out for a student loan that you can pay the rest of your life but now you've got youtube and Twitch, and it just you're learning from the highest level people. So yeah, it's it's legitimate, you know. That turtle pirate thing is uh, is so crazy. Like, everybody knows what you're talking about. It's a right? really interesting <laughs> cultural phenomenon that that happened, and and it's so fucking old. Like they don't do it any. I mean, when was it's, the last time they sent one of those things out? But everybody knows what you're oh. talking about. Right. You know what's funny is I didn't think anybody else had done that. And then one day on my stream, I talked about it. And I think I think it was Eric Kennedy, of all people, uh, was the one who knew what I was talking about. I think he might have tried to get, get it at some point. I, I don't remember exactly. I should not misquote him. But I just thought it was so funny that one of the people that I looked up to the most was like one of the best artists I've ever seen. Um, knew exactly the pirate school (laughs) they tried to say they tried to say that like uh charles schultz had attended their school and i mean i never yeah i never looked into that after the fact i mean i was like eight i think when i tried to get into it but uh yeah it that'd be worth following up uh if anybody knows what the deal with that is let us know Um, yeah i'm curious if they're even still around yeah, you mentioned uh, Eric Kennedy um, on your road to you know professional work and uh, your kind of self development. Who have been your your biggest inspirations along the way? Man, the biggest one by far is probably Joe Mad. If you guys know Joe Mad era, I can never pronounce his name uh, right, but Joe Mad. Anybody knows Marvel Comics, Battle Chasers, uh, Dark Siders, all that stuff. Joe was man. I you, I picked up that first Battle Chasers issue in the comic store, and I'd never seen anything like it. So if you guys have never seen the early Battle Chasers stuff, it was like issue four. Um, and I, I don't think the comics world had ever seen anything like it, because it was so anime, 
Hybrid. But uh, it was right right then that I was like, man, I want to draw like this guy. Um, before that, though, I mean, obviously, like Jim Lee, uh, J. Scott Campbell, I remember getting the Gen 13 books. All the comic comic guys were uh, huge, huge inspirations. So are you... Eudora, of course. I mean, sorry <laughs> okay. to cut you off, but he's, he's up, at the, up at the very top, I guess. <laughs> sure. Since you're a big fan of Joe Mad, are you also a big fan of uh, like Paul Richards and uh, Baldy Conagen? Uh, what was the last one? Baldy Conagen. I don't. I don't know. Uh, I'm not. Baldy really is now. Names. He's a uh, concept artist for uh, Airship Syndicate, which is under Joe Mad. He's oh, their really? senior one. Okay. So check him out then on I our probably, station. I probably am. I'm actually looking him up. <laughs> Just look up Baldy on our station. There should be only one Baldy with an I at the end. Yeah, the one thing I'm really, really bad about when people ask me names with comic artists and stuff is like, I just, I don't know names that well. I just don't retain it. Like, we can talk Game of Thrones and I'll be like, yeah, that one guy with the, did the one thing, you know. Oh, well, at least you got that on me. I, I don't remember fucking any of it. When I was like really deep into comics, um, I kept track of the artist names. But what I always kind of felt bad about is like, I couldn't have told you one fucking writer um except one the the dude now i'm forgetting his name though to counter my own point the dude in the that was doing (laughs) x-men in the 80s um the writer for uh anyway that guy (laughs) that guy yeah yeah. that guy yeah Uh, that was that that was yeah that was peak x-men so i kept up on that dude because i was like oh my god this fucking writing is incredible Uh, it's gonna come to me at the very end of the podcast i'll remember but uh Real quick, I just want to toss in there that uh, if you're a fan of uh, that style, uh, Paul Richards has a uh, blog up that's still up, even though he wrote it 10 years ago, called autodestruct.com. He has his design lectures on there. and it's My understanding is it's stuff that he's learned and to uh, basically uh, implement like Joe Mad style type of thing. So that would be one yeah, place I'm to be able to go that's online for free. I'm looking through all their stuff right now. I definitely see the uh, the quick kind of sketchy, yeah, that that concept art that they used for Darksiders and posted a lot. Thank you. Just a heads up to people that are uh, looking through his blog. Note that a lot of it is uh, not safe for work, especially if you go to Babe Lab or in his general blog. There can be some especially lewd stuff. So just be prepared. Don't show it to little kids. Yeah, if you're offended by boobs and or you're not old enough to look at them. Don't go there. Uh, thank you, Yanni from Yanni. the chat. Chris Claremont. That's who I was trying to remember. That dude was. The, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's you know up there with like the best of the best as far as like writing yeah, you, goes. You guys mentioned the artist blogs. I mean, that used to be such a big thing back then too. Blogspot. That I mean, obviously, social media took all that kind of away. I feel like, but um, one guy that was big with the um, blog stuff was Travis Charest. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I think he had a blog called Space Girl, but um, he worked on image comics. I think he worked on like Wildcats and stuff like that. Um, but he's a heavily super detailed artist, but he's he's definitely up there in that list of like role model artists. Like his level of work, um, I don't think he gets talked about nearly enough these days. Um, but he, he had that blog going like all the time posting his art and stuff kind of miss those artist blogs but he was he was fantastic if people want to check him out yeah i miss uh those blog spots uh you can see like um 
what's his name? Crap, I had it, and then I pressed the plus button so that I could start talking, and then it removed it from my uh, search bar. Well, the the good news is that, I mean, uh, a lot of that is, like, in in discords now. And there's, like, so many, like, amazing artists that, like, have discords that you can connect with them directly, you know? And there's, like, so it's, like, it's not, like, a blog per se, but they're still, like, you know, making, like, personal content, and they'll do, you know, like, educational material, and they'll interact with, you know their audience and stuff and um i feel like uh johannes helgeson that was who i was talking of yeah even though social media has kind of taken a lot away from us there's i I like to think that there's lots of places that uh you know there's still good access to that um twitch even yeah but um it was better organized on the blog spots so like you can quickly go through the guy's 10-year history of his practicing versus on twitch right yeah if you look at someone's Twitter feed, it's half memes, no matter who it is, and that's not mm-hmm. particularly helpful. You click on the media tab, and there's just a whole lot of cat reaction gifts, and you're like, okay, this isn't helpful for me wanting to res- uh, absorb their content. I'm just getting a lot of out-of-context reactions. Yeah, yeah, just kind of scrambled. I can see what that... Yeah, I can see exactly what you mean. So uh, what was your first professional work? Like, when you like decided to make that your long-term goal uh what was it that you first started doing when that started coming your way um so there was a mini series i did uh i penciled traditionally it was called battle for Oslberg, um and that was right out of a dude just found me on facebook um hit me up said he liked my art so we did that mini series um as soon as he contacted me <clears throat> I think I was working two jobs at the time, so I quit one of them right away, like that night. And uh, I had to stay on the other one just to make ends meet, but just kind of like first chance you get, get to go, you just got to go, got to jump. So that was the first one I got onto. How'd it, how'd it go? It was a, it was a lot of fun, man. Um, Dion, the writer, uh, it was kind of like a Little Red Riding Hood. Um, he wanted it to be kind of like Ghibli and Little Red Riding Hood, uh, a little bit more like violent and Red, Red Riding Hood, and a little bit more into the later storyline or whatever. But uh, that whole team was awesome. Lisa Kirk was, um, you can find her, it's L I C C A. She's up on Instagram. If people want to check out her art, she's crushing it now. She does these beautiful watercolors. Um, Dion was, he's he was, one of the best people you could ever ask for, especially to be a uh, first employer. He uh, single-handedly got me out to like Memphis Comic Expo, paid for my table, uh, had me there selling books with them, signing stuff, doing commissions, um, doing podcasts together. He was just he was just on it, man. He was a hustler, and I, I loved the whole environment. Working with the team, we had an inker, Jeff Morrow, back in then. We had an awesome uh, letter, Chris Chandler, which nobody talks about the lettering in comics enough, but when you get a good letterer compared to like somebody who's just like, I'll write the book and then I'll do the lettering in MS Paint <laughs> just to save money, you know, you can tell a good letter. And we had a great letter for that book. So um, I'll actually type it in chat if that's cool, just in case people want yeah, to definitely. look it up. Because um, I know the way I pronounce it is probably wrong. And we'll but, have um, links in the show notes afterwards too, for sure. Yeah, um, and if 
if conventions ever open back up, man, <laughs> I will have those books on hand. Uh, I try to take them everywhere because it's still like a, a huge point of pride that the whole series was like a big family working on it. Conventions are coming back in. I've been talking to a lot of people that are, uh, I don't know about comic cons. Maybe that's a different thing, but I know like a lot of some of the, uh, you know, bigger like fantasy and, uh, art cons are happening. Yeah. What do you guys, what do you guys think about that? I know, uh, the one in KC is here in like a month and I, I pushed it off till next year just to be safe with stuff. But, uh, I don't know. What do you guys think about everything kind of opening back up? It's great for people that have vaccines. It's a nightmare for those who don't and uh, don't want the vaccine. So it's, yeah. this is talking from a United States perspective. I can't talk for you know um, areas that don't have access to the vaccine. But yeah. people that can get the vaccine and choose not to, um, it's their own problem basically at this point. And there's nothing anyone can do to force them and because it's, there's no law to encourage or enforce vaccines. But for at conventions specifically, um, I imagine con crud is going to be amplified because it's now going to be, instead of just con crud general, some flu going around or some uh, cold, it's going to be COVID and you're going to get people dying because of they're going, they're going to conventions. Um, as far as uh, numbers coming out of uh, people that um, the death rate for people that are having the, uh, that from COVID after mass vaccine vaccinations, um, 99% of them are people that are unvaccinated. So that means it's still going to be a risk for you. It's going to be a lower risk. It's still going to be a risk. Yeah. I mean, yeah. would you guys... Sorry, Joey, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say, you know, if you're if you're vaccinated and you're in a, you know, relatively low risk group to begin with, you know, like I, I just, you know, use your best judgment of what you think is right. Um, and I, I mean, dare I say it, common sense, you know, it's like... a a big part of that well, common sense doesn't really exist anymore it's uncommon now <laughs> i'm i'm just still wearing i'm still wearing a mask when i go indoors in public spaces because i don't want to wait for the next variant to emerge that happens to be eva evading this vaccine yeah the masks don't exist here in missouri anymore i've realized <laughs> i think i'm the only one wearing a mask uh just it's just a mask you know what i mean like i feel like it's just i put it on it's not a big deal but like Man, I cannot spot a single mask when I go to the grocery store anymore. It's kind of crazy. I Me neither. But the difference between uh, Maryland and uh, Mississippi is Maryland is like 90% vaccinated and Mississippi is like, what, 20% vaccinated? Yeah, I don't even know what we are. I think we, Missouri right now is, um, we have like the highest, one of the highest Delta cases. So going to that, going to that, back to the convention thing is like going to that, it just feels like, it feels so dicey. Like even... I mean, I don't know what you think, Joby, from an artist standpoint. Um, would you would you throw money down on a table right now to risk it with limited capacity or just even not knowing if people are going to get out there? Or do you think people are itching to get out and get to conventions and it's a good idea? Uh, I won't speak to what's a good idea because I, I don't. <laughs> okay. uh, that's Fair. not that's that's not like. For me to say, oh, and maybe we forgot to mention this. Moose just kind of drops off every now. His Discord disconnects. He'll be right back. He's already back. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I mean, I won't speak to like what's a good idea for anybody, like other than myself, I guess, and like what I feel is like responsible behavior and you know, like a uh, a safe choice. Um, yeah, if it was limited capacity 
you know, and I'm, and I'm vaccinated and like in my area, the variants aren't like, uh, you know, as much of a threat, I wouldn't feel uncomfortable, uh, going to like a, you know, an ECC or something like that, you know, in my area traveling is maybe like a little bit different. Cause then you're like, okay, now you're like in taxis or Ubers and you're on a plane and then you're in a convention and you're in a hotel. So you're like, you're stacking on like a lot of things that are now like adding to those, to, to the situation. So yeah, traveling, yeah, maybe, I don't know, you know, and, but, uh, in, in like a local regional kind of thing, I would feel a lot safer about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right. The stacking on thing is, is a really good point because, uh, not just from a risk standpoint of health when you're, you know, stuck in a flying tube. Um, but financially, if that convention doesn't hit like it used to, then, uh, man, now you've got all those extra costs, right? Yeah. That's how a really big, good point. How big of a part of your career was going to conventions? It wasn't, it wasn't huge. Um, uh, emotionally it was huge. Emotionally that was, uh, that first convention I went to with that Dion got me out to, man, I was just, I was so lit up like a Christmas tree. I was, I was just, I found a place where I wanted to be the rest of my life type of thing. Um, financially, I it was hard to break even. It was, I don't know if Joby, what your experience is in that boat, but um, some artists crush it. And I've, I've, I really hurt for those artists the past couple of years. They have, I know some artists that made their living doing that, but it wasn't me. So it didn't really hurt me. In fact, I think it probably helped me to just rein it in and, and not lose money. But um, yeah, man, I, I heard a lot for those artists that had their entire way of uh, life fun and finance just shut down. So I understand having to go to it now. You know what I mean? Having to try like to get you back said, out there. It's, uh, it's like uh, there's a dichotomy of artists. The ones that crushed it at conventions, and that was a major part of their uh, their career. And then there were those who were trying it and not succeeding. And it ended up being beneficial for those who were trying it but not getting anywhere with it this year when it was shut down because then they could take not just the money but the time to invest into other areas. Exactly. Yeah, the time to just be like, okay, I got to slow down and just study. You know what I mean? Now I can just study. I don't have to worry about a print or a sticker i just gotta study now and i'm stuck for a year doing this so that's that's what i got right yeah for for me i i never uh for the freelance illustration side of things um i never got into the convention circuit uh to begin with um for tattooing there's a lot of maybe different motivations or reasons for tattoo conventions and why uh, a tattooer would would go to them and you know what all of that would would be about so i won't bore people with the details of that because it's unless you're a tattoo artist it could be relevant but maybe less so um but conventions are you know being part of your your freelance career um has was from the beginning was freelance like kind of like always the plan um or have you had um ideas about working in a more like permanent studio environment or like where do you kind of land on the uh the tension between those two options you know the plan was always actually just comics um when i got into it i think i don't even think streaming was a thing on twitch as far as art i think Maybe Shticky was around. Um, 
I know the first artist I saw stream anything was Onips. Um, if you guys don't know her, she's an awesome artist. And uh, she kind of, that that was a person that actually made me want to stream and uh, even like adapt some of her art style too. Um, but it was always just doing comics. I don't think I even knew or had an idea about conventions and how how much fun they were and like any of that. Um, or even thought about freelancing much. I think I had an Etsy shop. I did some birthday gifts, and you know the, the stuff you do draw somebody's pet. Uh, but it was always, it was always, it's always been wanting to be a creator of my own stuff, or uh, if somebody else is writing it. Um, I guess having the uh, man, it sounds so egotistical, but having the the credit that if you if you succeed or you fail on this, it's it's your name up there. Um, they know it's you, and. Uh, know it's the art that you did you know all of it right so i think that's working in a studio i've never tried that um i don't know if i would like that or not but i feel like sometimes i feel like that that would throw me back into that work or school environment where you're just kind of buried beneath you know buried in a group and maybe you're you're lifting everybody up and you're working harder and everybody's getting the credit you know that that nightmare from school <laughs> or or everybody's just as good there and they're pushing you to be even better and you're learning so much and maybe it's, it'd be awesome but i think for me it's always just been um wanting to be at the forefront of something just kind of solo whatever it is comics or learning game design or whatever it's kind of kind of working solo has been the uh, the uh, ultimate comfort spot uh i don't want to try to say this to uh feel like you i'm urging you to work in a studio environment if that's not what you're looking for I just want to say um, a lot of things that I actively did not want to do because I felt like it was going to be more work or a bad situation ended up in the long run being something that I loved the most after I tried it. Really? So, um, like when I was in college, uh, I did not want any response. I, I did not want a career that would have me have any responsibility. And now that I'm out of, out of college, I keep trying projects that give me tons of responsibility, whether it's starting a new group, uh, that helps artists or whatever, or um, uh, creating projects that are, you know, actually putting artists to work, whatever it is. I'm actually finding that when I'm in charge and in control of things, I am enjoying it more. And that may not be, you know, directly applicable to going to a studio, but the general theme of the thing that you might not want to do right now may end up being the thing that you want to do later is just... Uh, Something to keep in mind. That's that's really interesting that you made that that transition. Like, what do you just think you were afraid of afraid of it? And then once you got into it, you just you just clicked or what? Like, I wanted to be lazy. Uh, I wanted <laughs> just do the. Uh, I didn't want to have to think about things. I just wanted to do and then move on and have a good work life balance. Um, just work nine to five and then go home and then be able to do anything else with my time. But um, and that's kind of how my job is now. It's uh, very much. Um, I'm given a set of activities to do, and I, then I do them. Um, not a whole lot of room to venture out in my own path, but when it comes to my free time, I'm craving responsibility. I'm craving adventure, basically. That's that's super, super interesting to hear about that. Oh, I should mention, uh, since John Lee just mentioned this is turning into a moose interview, I'll stop talking. But uh, <laughs> if you do want to hear a moose interview, this Thursday I'll be on uh, Jay Axler's podcast. Uh, I'm oh. I'm enjoying honestly hearing you guys' opinions. Uh, 
separate from my own because this is, this is a little huge learning experience for me. Yeah, they want you to talk more, man. They want you to talk more. This is it. I'm gonna sit this one out, Joby. And uh... now we're gonna switch it up. You're gonna start interviewing Moose now, right? Um, I got the Barbara Walters uh, notepad out. Yeah. So, so as a freelance artist, um, you know, who is sort of like actively kind of well, not avoiding permanent studio work, but it, it seems like you kind of like you found a good groove that's at least you know like working the way that you want it to work for now, uh, getting it done. How do you put yourself like in front of the people that you need to in order to like get gigs and stuff? Lord, I still don't know, man. <laughs> but you're well, you, think, you say that, but you're doing think, it. How's it worked for you in the yeah. up to now? But you know what? I think you, I I had this talk with Moose, and I've had this talk with you too a little bit about the freelance stuff. Is like, and sometimes it just feels like uh, you don't know how you're doing it. You're doing it, but you don't know. I mean, you're just throwing things against the wall on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit. I, I mean, I, I'll use everything I can um, to just post stuff. And uh, I think uh, for you too, uh, and and we both stumbled into the D and D market. And uh, however that happened for us, I think once it's kind of like that pet drawing market where once you get one, you just the ball just keeps rolling, right? And that's that's actually been a fun freelance um, avenue to go down because I think, at least I've known with Critical Role, I've kind of got a passion for it, developed a passion for it. So um, that's been a lot of fun. But once you, once you start getting one of those gigs, I think that everybody in that community starts sharing your stuff. Um, and that's the thing that I don't think enough artists tell you about, or I don't, I don't know, instructors or whatever, um, return clients and and how much how important one single return client can be worth, you know, a hundred or 200, 300 followers on social media. Can it, can't even add up to one good return client, um, what they do for you. So that's, that's kind of how I'm getting things out there, I guess. It's just that one client that talks to another client. That's a friend that talks to another client and it just builds out. I think the interesting part about the D and D market specifically, and I don't want to say it, but also the pet market, um, there's like planned obsolescence in there. They're not the the subjects of the art isn't going to be it's going to last forever. So they're going to eventually be um, replaced with a new character from a new campaign, and yeah. or maybe they start up a second campaign while they're still doing the first one, and they want more art. So that's where the repeat clients come in. Yeah, but as I've to, never, um, go ahead. never wish death more on a D and D character than when I need that page. <laughs> Tell all my friends to roll bad because I need that paycheck. You can just reach out to their DM, be like, "Hey, uh, I need so and so to die t- tomorrow. Right, my, uh, right. I have bills to pay." How do you feel about a total party killer right now? Just throwing that out there. Uh, you know, I got four clients in your game right now, so maybe slip them a five or something. <laughs> I was right. gonna say you got to be on the take with them, like you know, like greasing oh, pizzas on me this week. Hundred <laughs> percent. You could start a whole like network, you know, a little private Discord channel for DMs to join, where you like give little kickbacks for, you know. <laughs> yeah, <every> yeah, <laughs> right. Like, a, yeah, like the opposite of a Patreon or something like that, where, you, where you're sliding them a little bit more. <laughs> Death Rion. <laughs> Death Rion. Only brilliant. kills. Oh, instead of only fans, I like it. Um, so in this space, 
of doing comics specifically more, you know, outside of the, um, you know, the, the individual freelance commission work. Um, what are, if, if you were kind of interested in studio work, what kind of options, or do you have a sense of what kind of options there are outside of the standard giants? You know, if someone's like, because I, I think about, uh, the illustration world, you know, and everybody kind of like puts a few of the big monsters on the pedestal, you know, there's wizards of the coast, there's riot, there's blizzard, um, you know, and then like, as far as like big, like industry names, there's like these pinnacles for illustration. And then in the comics world, it's like there's Marvel and there's DC and, uh, image, you know, and a few of those, but then like under for illustration underneath that, there's like plenty of other places that you can be perfectly happy and make decent money working that don't include, doesn't have to be, you know, wizards of the coast or whatever or comics in like the indie world. Like, is there something similar? Are there like, what would the options be for somebody that wanted to find like studio work? or weren't maybe even like necessarily in trying to like hit the grind of competition, trying to get a gig at Marvel. Man, like with comics, I would say with comics, if, if people didn't want to grind, it's just a bad field to go into altogether. Um, if that makes sense. Well, let me clarify anybody who's ever done comic. Okay, Sorry. Yeah. Let me, let me clarify one thing. Not, not that they don't want the grind of like the, the drawing and the work. But that they they're kind of turned off maybe by the level of competition that might be involved in like trying to reach, you know, uh, trying to get a job at Marvel or DC, you know, where okay they're totally down for the they passion of like the work smaller yeah you know like smaller operations more indie places like um yeah I think there's actually plenty of those um that uh there's a lot of places like i think like image comics um where you have your product already and you submit it and see what they think you know you get two or three issues done and you submit it uh, the interesting thing now is more than more than working with studios um which a lot of those i think a lot of those publishers like that it won't feel like working in a studio like a game studio because i think with comics is it's really unique that it's you know usually two three people working at home versus like going into bungee or something like that um and you're working with a team or i don't know i don't know what it's like to work with wizards of the coast and stuff like that um but i think like webtoons and web comics and and some of those i kind of look at as studios now especially like webtoons because you can kind of do it on your terms, but they will, if you're good enough, they will push, push you out there. But I, I don't feel like you have the, uh, the pressure of like drawing Spider-Man, you know what I mean? Like all those people, all the great Spider-Man artists before you, and you got to be better than them. You, you're able to just put your stuff out there and, and kind of like grow into it. I think webtoons are, are really web comics in general are really, really an underrated but they're just not taken seriously as as their uh, market should dictate them to be taken. Like that's that's to me that's a studio. Webtoons is a studio. It's it's easy to get. It's easier to get into, and um, you're as good as your audience pushes you up to be. You know. Yeah, it, the webtoons thing is interesting because I, I I don't 
I mean, I know of it. I have, I'm hoping that you can shed some more light on like what the structure is like there. Why, what is the, what is, how does the business model work in terms of like, if you're uh, a comic creator, you're a writer, you're an artist, whatever, you have a small team, or are there already groups in place that kind of like, I don't know, how does it work? Like how, (laughs) if, is it strictly, uh, you're, you're under your own, um, steam, like you create everything and then you put it up on webtoons or is there already like a pre-existing environment that as an artist you can step into and then, you know, like work that's already being done there, they'll hire you on. Like what are the, what's the sort of like range of options there? Yeah, so with webtoons, unlike unlike say Marvel, right, that would have an idea and come to get you, and they would find you a writer, and they would find you an inker or whatever, you know. Um, webtoons is just pretty much hosting it, right? So I think that's what would when we talked about taking that pressure off or whatever. It's like uh, I know with my writer, he submits to webtoons. We've already done all the art and all the work for it. Um, which, uh, which speaking of studios, I didn't even mention the studio that I. I kind of work for is in beyond studios um, and they publish, they have a great deal work out with artists. They, they're heavily for the artist. Um, I know spin comics is another one that's starting up. I think a lot of people know spin on Twitch, um, but with webtoons, it's kind of in the same format. They're putting stuff online. You're submitting it to it. And usually they'll use your, so their social media to promote you. If your book is, getting that sort of that first level of attention right um but other than that you've got an entire website that people can find your stuff by algorithm so it's kind of like if instagram was working for you instead of against you right you know if it was like hey you like this stuff you might like joby's stuff check him out over here but as far as putting a team together uh usually that's just finding a writer if you're an artist um if you can't write your own stuff Go on Reddit, go on Facebook, and usually the writer will find you. Usually they will pay out of their pockets. Some people offer back-end deals. I think we probably all have our opinions on avoiding back-end deals. Um, but like for me, I get paid uh, out of pocket by CJ. Like I got paid out of pocket from Dion, uh, which just shows you how bad those guys want it because they're working extra hours to pay a team. But then we put it up there. Um, we put ours up there for free. And we don't make revenue off of it. I think you got to be kind of a high tier to make revenue off of it. I know Tapastic used to give like 10 cents per thousand views for theirs. Um, I don't know what Webtoons is at higher scale, but I think they do have some revenue sharing. A lot of people will just throw their Patreon um, into their comic book links, right? So they'll use Webtoons as a hosting platform. And there's their Patreon or whatever. You can support them. But webtoons will help them kind of get that traffic going. What is the revenue structure like for webtoons? I mean, is it just like advertising? Like, are they are they getting money from? I think. Yeah, I think they used to do uh, uh, like a a YouTube deal. I I could be wrong on this. Somebody else might know way better than I do. But I think what I had been told because we don't we don't make anything off ours right now. I don't think we're higher tier enough or get enough views or whatever it is. But um, or maybe CJ opted. Like I let I let him since he's paid me. I let him take all the profits that he can to recoup that. So I don't actually know, but I think at one time somebody had told me they were kind of like YouTube, but you kind of had to get 
up the ladder to make um, anything decent off of it, which is kind of what YouTube is doing now, too. They seem to be raising the bar on where you're monetized and stuff. I think so. Somebody could correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I think that's the way it's going now still. So uh, how does the uh, pay for the artist's work? Like, uh, is it per page, per ink, per pencil, per color, per lettering? What is, uh, what are the rates and like, what are the ranges? Usually uh, it would be per page. Um, I think some people will want to pay per issue, but I, I would always, if you're a comic artist or letterer or inker, Divide that per page, you know, um, whatever somebody says they want to pay you. Uh, low end on um, indie comic art should probably be about 50, 50 bucks a page, um, all the way up to maybe 100, 120. Uh, I think with like Marvel and some of the big boys, they get into, you know, a couple hundred. Um, so that's like a day's worth of work, usually. Unless you're like Greg Capullo and you're a beast and you want to draw three pages a day because you can, because <laughs> you're awesome. But um, yeah, it's it's all over the place because there's just no no real structure. I've seen some stuff. I think you guys are probably familiar with what the deviant art market and the uh, Facebook market has kind of done to prices. Um, and I've seen I've seen people asking for ten or twenty dollars a page, and just they will do a whole entire page for that much. So I I try to stay low end, low absolute low end. Um, I try to tell people. 50 bucks page if you can't make 50 bucks a page you honestly are probably better off just going and working somewhere and coming home and working on your dream project so uh, that's to clarify that's for pencils inks and colors that would be a day that would be um yeah that's a good point that would be for whatever your job is at the time i would not do pencils and inks for 50 bucks a page if you're doing traditional i'm doing uh digital so so i would count pencils and inks as the same thing as line art right so divided up um lettering goes often cheaper and inking goes often cheaper because you are doing um a little bit less time strenuous work uh but coloring and and uh, the penciling or line work if you're doing all the line work those things are uh usually usually priced much higher and they should be how much, many much how many pages a day is like what's what ranges how many people can do how many pages per day uh i would say like jay is saying uh two two pages a day uh is is really good i think um one page a day is probably what's expected of professionals at marvel and stuff um if i'm doing like out where i'm at doing indie stuff and commissions where i make more commissions i if i do two a week you know it's okay um, because my focus is on those D and D commissions right now, which like that just takes priority. Um, so if you got that stuff going on, most likely you do. If you're doing any books, don't pressure yourself to knock out a page a day, unless that rate wants to go up to 100, 200 bucks a day, or a page. Then, then prioritize it. But um, I think, uh, yeah, I think a page a day for professionals is about right. I think I rambled there, but I hope I answered that. This sounds like a great way to destroy your wrist. Yeah, uh, you know what? That's actually a good point. Um, uh, that I will tell. I I used to tell people this all the time on stream because they would see me drawing with both hands. Uh, I'm a lefty naturally drawing, but I learned to draw with my right hand because I destroyed my wrist doing that. So um, 
I would say if you, especially if you were young, try it. And you think that you, if you want to make this a career, uh, do everything you can to be an epidectrist. Um, like even, even as you get older, right? Like I just had a buddy blow out his shoulder playing Frisbee golf. And, uh, so like, he can't do nothing. <laughs> he can't do anything right now, you know? So it's like, just train yourself to train yourself to be a workhorse. Uh, I know that there's, that's not a healthy mentality and a lot of people talk about it. Um, but train yourself to be able to do that. That way you're not going to, you know, be laid up from the, the little injuries that kind of get you. The uh, advice I had heard more often was learn to draw from your shoulder and your elbow rather than from your wrist and fingers. Yeah, I've heard that too. Um, I never really could figure that out. Uh, probably because I saw the, all these people that were talking about it were always painters um, to me. And I was always like a line artist trying to get in there, draw an eye from my shoulder. <laughs> like, like it just didn't really work for me. Uh, what worked for me better was just, I think the whole idea with that was stay relaxed, right? Yeah, Jay, which is, I think it's better for painters. Um, well, that's but, interesting because uh, Paul Richards, who we mentioned earlier, uh, he was on the podcast and he was teaching a, a course for both uh, Joby and Steve Sketches. Um, and he was teaching them to draw from the shoulder because uh, he felt that that would get the more smooth lines, the more energetic lines, rather than the uh, more uh, uh, writing letters uh, lines that you get from uh, using your fingers and wrist. So, yeah. I, so I have a well, take. I have a take on this, if I can interject. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I think that. <laughs> so, sorry. Know, it, no, it's all good. There's um, it, if you're the more gestural lines, you know, certainly like sketching, the big movements, uh, the big shape, construction lines are from the shoulder, and then the more detailed, the more granular you get in your detail, uh, the closer you get to your fingertips. Um, that's sort of the, the 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 movement funnel, so to speak, you know, big movements up from the shoulder, finer and finer details get closer and closer from the elbow, the wrist, and then into the fingers. If you're working on something really noodly detail, the good news though, is that how often are you really in those little noodly details? And probably you can train yourself to be elbow and wrist. Uh, and when I say wrist, I don't mean like that carpal tunnel creating little, like a, uh, you know, nibbling movement. It's, a wrist that's working with your elbow. That's kind of what I try and get myself to, to think of um, what, to your point of staying relaxed and staying loose is very helpful in that. If you're tense and you've got the death grip on your pencil or your stylus, <clears throat> it's very hard to do this, but if you can stay relaxed, even when you're like in smaller uh, wrist reliant details, you can still get a, like your, you're getting um, your your the rest of your arm and certainly your body and your core is taking on a lot of the center of gravity. So you're still maintaining a good balance and and using a balance of muscles. I guess is the the thing that I'm trying to to get at. Um, I you mentioned that uh, it might not be like a, a great a healthy mentality, um, but I would reinforce what you say um, to highlight that there's like a I think that there's a healthy way to work hard. It doesn't require you to become overworked, you know, like it's physical training, things that you do for your body outside of the actual work that you're doing, you know, to keep yourself strong, keep yourself fit, stretched out, all that kind of stuff. 
you know, so you can work long hours and work really hard um, without becoming overworked and getting injured and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, so a couple things to what you're saying actually was, um, well, first, a little, little tricks you can le learn with the, uh, the grip stuff, right? Is she working on a tablet? One thing that obviously helped me was uh, if you have, um, uh, I'm forgetting what the term is, but it's like the line correction stuff. Like CSP has it really good uh, where it'll help you. It'll kind of help correct your lines. I know Procreate has that in there too. So you're not like jamming into canvas trying to make a smooth curve and stressing out over it. Um, line stabilization, that's it. Trying to use those has helped. Uh, also, getting a grip, a good like rubber grip. Like if you're using an Apple Pencil, that's feels like you're holding on to like a bar of soap. Sometimes it's constantly going to flip out. Get one of those grips that we all had in like kindergarten and second grade. You know, uh, the fatter the grip. If you anybody who's ever weightlifted, if you want to if you want to get your grip and your strength up, you will wrap a towel around your chin up bar or your deadlift bar or whatever. If you, the fatter your grip is um it kind of teaches you to use the rest of your body more instead of death gripping it like you're saying so um those things also i noticed like i heard this about comic artists a long time ago that their faces were at the end of the day from making expressions of their characters and i noticed that i clinch my jaw so much through the course of a drawing that just pause every once in a while and just be like is my jaw clenched through the roof right now mm -hmm. you'll find it most of the day it probably is and you don't even notice it and that's that muscle in your neck is going down to your wrist uh, i think that carpal tunnel muscle runs all the way through to your neck um somebody probably correct me if i'm wrong on that but i know somebody who had it and their doctor was telling them to stretch their neck as part of their carpal tunnel treatment so just just that stuff like joe be saying if you're going to work your butt off and be a workhorse which i'm a i'm actually a huge believer in doing that find it find yourself doing it for the right reasons but just take the 10 10 minutes every once in a while to uh keep shop you know clean yeah posture is a huge part of that you know what you were talking about with the the neck muscles uh and and before staying relaxed um training yourself to rely on your core for that center of gravity instead of the hunch and the like the quasimodo fucking like Scr the hunch and the scrunch you know where you're like this is right. your pose for like drawing like that's gonna fuck you up if you can you know yourself. you know every every 80 year old artist you know you know when you see them you're like yeah you were an artist or you worked at the newspaper or something <laughs> right yeah like like the like uh, monks in a monastery like trying to right, read a yeah. candlelight or whatever <laughs> yeah. like uh, everybody's exactly. all hunchback and, um but uh Shout out Regan Lodge, uh, who works on a fucking awesome uh, self-published oh, awesome. comic. That, yeah, Wyatt. Um, artwork is amazing. Yeah, one thing that I, I uh, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Uh, one thing I picked up from him is uh, well, you were mentioning like the big grip on the stylus, but he has an interesting thing. This might not work for everybody style-wise, I guess. Um, but he has his uh, and he uses CSP and he has his uh, brush setting. So that he actually has like one of like this massive diameter um, brush size. But if he can keep his 
his stroke light. You know, if he can stay light handed with his strokes, he can make very fine thin lines. And that has trained him to stay loose and stay relaxed because he can't clench and like do like because then he can't get like the light lines with the big diameter uh, brush setting. Does that make sense? Yes, actually, that makes total sense. And I do the same thing. I actually I heard that off of a YouTube somewhere that uh, set up your brush as big as possible and your pressure as low as possible. But the reason I heard it was just so you could go in and it was kind of more of a concept art where you could uh, get into these characters or block them out with inks really fast, right? You basically just put a bunch of ink down with the same brush size that you're doing your line work with. But I think you're right, absolutely right, that that actually trains you to stay light, stay small, or, or else you're going to screw up your drawing, and it's going to be visible right there. You're literally getting visible feedback to, are you doing this right or not? Yeah, so, um, but coming back to, uh, you know, the professional world of comics, I, you know, in, in the lead up and thinking up questions, I had made a note. You know, we've already kind of touched on that comics are n not always known for, you know, being the best pay in the world um, and how freelancing in that world kind of presents its own challenge. Um, it's interesting to me, though, that the situation where uh, someone is making money on comics because <laughs> comics are still around. People are still reading them. They're hugely popular, perhaps more now than ever. So that it's a good business model for somebody i just like wonder why it is that the artists like why are the margins so bad for artists do you have any thoughts on that man i feel like that goes to um any type of any type of employment right um especially where there's no i think some of us as artists like we've kind of joked about this idea that like there almost needs to be a union <laughs> for for artists. But I don't even, I don't know how you would do it, but it's just if if you look throughout any of the uh, art, I don't know jobs, right? Freelance stuff, whatever. There's there's that top tier that really makes it, um, and then there's like the middle, the kind of like that middle to low ground. It's all kind of bunched in together that they want to do this so bad, and I think when you have a passion to do something like a burning passion, like, like this is, I don't want to do anything else. I'm doing this every single day and it's what I want to do. Right. People will find some way to take advantage of that somehow. Um, not that everybody in comics does that, I, but there's going to be more opportunity for that. Somebody to be like, you like doing this. So you're enjoying it. So it's not a real job. So I'm not going to pay you as much, you know? And I know that I can get away with that because you're still going to do this because it's what you want to do rather than go to down the street. And like, you know, I don't, I worked at Sonic. I don't know if you guys know what that is, but it's a fast food restaurant. I did that for 16 years. Right. Um, trying to get into comics and I don't want to go back to that. Right. Like, so I would take less money and, and be more hungry and struggle more to still be doing art because you feel like every day you get better. You're, you're closer to that dream project or dream pay rate or whatever and i think people will take advantage of that you know there's there's that whole idea even 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 on social media that it's it's cartoons or it's art um so why am i paying you for it if you like doing it 
type of thing. I think that's you're right. There's a ton of money in comics right now. Somebody's making it. I think that it's. I think that it's probably uh, if we looked at it, it's probably an example of like the top twenty percent making the most money. Um, and those are usually the books like. How long was how long was people on uh, Walking Dead or Invincible, um, working on those projects before they got picked up, and are they making more now after the pickup of TV syndication? It's like probably not the artists, no. Yeah, and I mean, well, Otley's working for uh, he went from Invincible to Marvel, so now <laughs> he's you know I think he's probably doing okay. But but here's another here's another way that those guys make money with those conventions we talked about is. Oh, man, if you guys are working traditionally, save your traditional pages. If you can print stuff out, um, I know that I think I think Domo, I think he prints, he does his layouts, and then I think he prints them out and then inks over him that we has original pages. So there, you can sell your original pages to double your income. You can pretty easily double your income, whatever your base page rate is at a convention. You can sell an original work, especially the more popular you get. Um, you can sell it two or three times, maybe even whatever, whatever you're making. So that's that's a way for comic artists to make that money. Make that money up is never let a publisher claim the rights to your original work. Always, always hold on to that. Uh, real quick, going back to uh, the idea that uh, there's always somebody else that's willing to do the work for less. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast before, but there isn't a whole lot of overlap between sports fans and uh, artists. But one of the best analogies I can come up with was what's happening in the uh, NFL sports with the uh, cheerleaders. Uh, there is not a whole lot of um, competition for uh, – there's not a lot of uh, competition for the NFL in terms of their cheerleaders. Like They, uh, they have a monopoly on the highest ranking uh, where cheerleaders want to work. So it's basically like the Marvel, it's the Wizards of the Coast of cheerleading. So, and there's a lot of girls out there who want to cheerlead. So what ended up happening is the these people have terrible contracts. They end up getting unpaid over, over uh, overtime on weekends and nights. And the uh, response from the NFL is basically, if you don't want the job, don't take it. And the pay is terrible. It's like minimum, it's, I don't want to say it's minimum wage, but it's approximately the minimum wage. But there's still people want want to do it, even though it's be, being treated ter- terribly, even at the highest level. So it's like they're paying for having the uh, the passion instead right. of being paid for having the passion. Right. That's that's a good point. And and honestly, uh, I mean, I'm sure you know about the cheerleading thing that the uh, the injuries that come with that. I I think for the longest time the NFL wasn't even picking up their health insurance because they were almost considered part-time employees. Um, there was something about that I had, I had read or watched. Like they were making just nothing and they were getting no, you know, that's, that's the business side of things. And, um, you know, everything will get cut as much as it can get cut to save a rich person. You know, I, I don't, I don't subscribe. I don't want this to come out as like eat the rich. Cause I really don't subscribe to that. Cause I know a lot of, you know, well, wealthy to do people who are genuinely good people trying to get back. Uh, but there is a point where I think people have to get fed up and say, "No, I'm not. You're you're taking advantage of people so you can make more and more and more because they love doing what they're doing." And uh, yeah, it's weird. It's 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 up to us to be the ones to say 
we're not going to do this anymore. And I, maybe you're starting to see that come out of this pandemic where people not going back to work until they get paid what they're worth. Um, and, and I hope that that, I hope that that can somehow translate into art. I don't know how, but I hope that people will say, if you're only going to pay me 20 bucks for this, this drawing of you and your dog, I'm just going to eat that 20 bucks. <laughs> and hopefully all my peers will eat that 20 bucks too. And uh, we're going to work on a passion project. You know, I'm going to put some, I'm going to make a design for my Redbubble store. Um, and at least I'll be happy doing that. And you know what? Maybe in five years, that store builds up with all that time I spent into it. And I'm making passive income on that. I think uh, one of the biggest problems with the art community in general, uh, with the freelance market, is the people that are undercharging, but they have amazing quality of work. They typically are working in, they're living in Brazil, they're living in Thailand, they're living in Indonesia yeah. or something like that, where they're able to live off of $500 a year or something. Something incredibly yeah. small that, let's say $200 a month. That's more realistic. Um, and now that uh, co after COVID, these people are able to possibly be able to find jobs at American companies that are now allowing people to work remotely. So it's, what I'm hoping is going to happen is now that they're able to make fifty, dollars $150,000 a year doing the same thing, that it'll spread throughout the rest of the community that, hey, this thing pays better. We can make more money than we were previously doing. Why aren't we charging more? That's what I'm hoping is going to happen out of this, but we'll yeah, see. That would that would be I mean that would be amazing, um, and that's why I think that uh, when when top tier artists raise their prices, uh, it's kind of like a uh, it raises the tide for everybody, right? So I know I know I struggled. I don't know how how you did, Joby, um, but like I struggled with my self worth raising prices. I think a lot of artists do this too. Like, am I worth that? But the thing that actually helped me more than anything um, was that I have to raise my prices for other people. Like, once I got that mindset going, it's like, that that helped me raise my prices. And, and the funny thing was, I have been nonstop busy since then. Like, I have always had a commission full list since raising my prices. But it took, it took uh, learning that if I don't raise mine, then they can't, this person trying to, make it they can't raise theirs to my level or above mine right till i do it so we all do it then it goes up and then that's a new standard but if we're all kind of undercutting each other fighting for scraps um it just the big winner is is that company that's doesn't have to shell out anything for an artist to work 40 hours on a piece pay them 200 bucks for it you know yeah the thing that confuses me about like the art world going this is kind of going back to the the union unionization thing um you know i mean you have like a steel workers union and that makes sense but then like it doesn't i don't want to say sink in because i don't want to imply that you know people don't know what's best for them or that they're stupid but with art and you know since we've been talking about comics making it specifically about comics i mean like the art is the thing like that's <laughs> that's yeah like all of the people that are actually like make like the doing the actual work to create the comic book 
like it doesn't exist without that. And that seems so self-evident that it just seems like a place that would be right for some kind of like organization, you know, like, like at the end of the day, like Marvel is like making copies and sending them around the world, but it has to come from somewhere. So I just, I, yeah, the unionization thing with artists is, uh, it's we, on a recent episode, we talked to Flo Young, uh, she works in the concept art world and, and she brought this idea up of a, uh, of a union. Um, the, the counterpoint to all of this, like as I'm speaking, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of this idea of the global market too, which that kind of adds its own complexity to it because it, it's not just you and your region, you know, like steel workers, they work at like a place, you know, there's like the place where the steel gets made, but in something, you know, like the art world where people can be working wherever and making it happen, that is like a little bit harder to think about. Like, how would you get, you know, people that live in Brazil to be in the same union as somebody that lives in, you know, Minneapolis or whatever? Yeah, yeah. I, I think what you would have to do, though, is less of a union and more of like, um, I don't even know, a talent agency. I don't know if that would, I mean, that's still somebody taking money off top, but artists, we're traditionally not, we're not business people. We're not hagglers, you know. Um, I think more and more artists are learning that they have to learn that stuff. But like, the to me, the, the easiest uh, point A to point B is that you have somebody who's well-versed in that, hopefully ethical, <laughs> um, but they run a talent agency and you start seeing these talent agencies of just, I, here's my artist, you know, here's, here's my 10 artists. Um, they're all different styles and I'll go out and I'll just start pitching their portfolios to different studios looking for jobs, but I will handle negotiations and rates based on what I've talked to them about and I know their needs are, and I know what they want. And because I'm a good, I went to school for business. I can negotiate this like any NFL agent would, you know, I'll get my guy the highest pay. And then you see, if you see those be successful, those become like these mini unions, I guess. Right. Um, somebody says like, the, you heard about Joey Doors talent agency, you know, it's all his artists are getting paid uh, at the top of the industry and they're getting these best jobs. So I want to go there and join that. And these are the rates and they're transparent about their rates. And then another talent agency, talent guy says, well, maybe I can do it better. So he opens it up and now you've got the competition, but now you've got businessmen and women at the forefront of those things, uh, brokering the deals and the artists are just worried about doing the work, but they're also getting what they're worth because somebody else is saying, these are what my guys and girls are worth and you're going to pay them what they're worth. And uh, I think that it's really difficult for an artist. Well, in many cases, it's difficult for artists to be their own uh, champion, especially when it comes to pricing, because not only are they going to say things like to themselves, like, oh, I'm not as good as the people that are also hiring. They'll also say things like to themselves, like, uh, I'm not going to I don't want to chart give them too high of a price. Then they might say no. And if you talk to any businessman, they will toss that idea out immediately. They'll say, no, start with a higher price and then negotiate down. So I don't know if artists are the best people to be in control of their own uh, 
financial negotiations, which is why studios, like we've had a, a Forrest Emil on, he was with Wild Blue, and he didn't have to deal with his own, own negotiations there, but he did learn about uh, the pricing structures of things. And now that he's freelance, he has that new information to uh, back up his uh, freelance career. But before then, he did not have that, uh, I'm not, I don't want to put words into his mouth, but my understanding is that he wouldn't have had as strong of a foundation as he does now. Yeah, that's 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 probably a good point. Uh, we kind of we kind of lack the willpower sometimes to put our foot down. Where business business people they they have been trained to be uh, cutthroat, and I'm gonna get what I'm gonna get, you know. And there's there's no settling for this. So yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe having those people to to train us to teach us, um, or to to just lead us or find us the jobs and you know, here's, here's your 10% or whatever, you know, because you this made is, me 40% extra. This is actually kind of brilliant. I'm kind of loving this idea of the talent agency. You just like that I put Joby Door talent agency, don't you? That's that's what sold it, wasn't it? That is your name? Really, I was like, I was on the fence, and then all you have to do is just say my <laughs> name. I, I only have yeah. to hear my name spoken out loud by another person, right. and I'm right. just like... Such a, in, such a diva. Fucking brilliant idea, brilliant. <laughs> Um, Joby Door Coffee Shop? Okay, let's do that too. Joby Door selling monkeys to people on Mars? Yeah, it's fucking yeah, great. Yeah. So that's the Space Monkey Mafia. Yeah, we heard about. <laughs> we didn't start the fire, right? <laughs> so <laughs> it's putting. All right. So I I I want to nuzzle up to this idea some more though. My name aside. I, I want to start putting this out into the universe, into the like collective consciousness, um, talent agencies. Cause there's like, there's things that are sort of like adjacent to that concept already. Um, if people will forgive me for, uh, well, this is more Moose's horn, you know, but, uh, uh, Moose was sort of at the for forefront of, um, you know, leading that charge for creating, uh, you know, the fantasy, uh, the freelance fantasy illustration uh, Reddit group. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, so there are like, and then what he was saying about Forest, you know, like Wild Blue is, there's a name for like the type of studio that Wild Blue is. It's like, they're like the type, you know, like where they outsourcing. They're, outsourcing, they're like an outsourcing studio. And that's kind of similar, you know, where you're like, you're part of a studio, but also it's not like this studio is making this game. Like this studio is taking in jobs from a whole variety of, of sources. So it's kind of like a talent agency, but I don't know this, like that concept um, is really intriguing. Um, I, the, I, the thing that I think could be brought in to like the models that are already existing is like more outreach, you know, like more, um, uh kind of uh, uh uh what's the word that i'm looking for uh proactive effort you know on the part of people putting together these groups to find artists to be part of it you know social media campaigns uh god forgive me for saying influencers you know like people that are kind of that are down for the idea willing to get on board spreading the word of this like kind of fucking new idea and then bringing on you know to your point Steve of uh 
you know, getting business people involved <laughs> to do the heavy lifting of like all of that kind of crap that artists don't really want to concern themselves with. And yeah, there's your, your, your 10% or whatever. Yeah. Well, I know, I know that there are some, like there's essential sequential because we talked about Kennedy earlier. I think he gives his art to uh, somebody at essential sequential and they have a Domo might, uh, might have his art on there too, but they have a lot of comic artists and they will take, I think they will find commissions for people. Um, I think they have commission sign-up list on their site. Um, and I think they will take your original art to comic convention, which is another thing that I think, um, I, I talked to somebody else on Twitch about this, about her doing that. Um, I think she was willing to try it, but I think that's, that was pre COVID and, you know, that shut every, all the ideas down, but, um, it was like, it, here's your, here's your 10%, right. Or whatever it is. Uh, let me mail you all my original artwork that I think you can sell. Um, in beyond actually in beyond the, the studio that I did, um, that we worked on Zadar Chronicles for, um, it, they actually did a thing where they would take all the artists that worked for them. They'd take their prints and they had a table at artist alley in New York, uh, city comic con, other comic cons, and they would, um, print out all the art and, and sell it. And then they would, you know, give you your cut. They would cover their table fees, um, and I don't, I don't even know if they made anything off the top because I think one of the people in charge, he is an artist, so I think he was able to make his profits um, off selling his prints too there, and basically got in, got the table right. Um, but stuff like that, like Essential Squinchel does stuff like that. I know I'm rambling a little bit off track, but uh, I, there's there are those things that exist within the comic world where they will take an artist's original art or a group of artists and they will. That literally is their job is a different convention every weekend, which is uh, the best market. You know, you can, if if you probably if you work on tattoo stuff, if you don't have a shop and you go to a tattoo convention, you're you're in that area where it's just people who are interested in what you want. We talked about social media where you find memes and gifts. You know, you skip all of that and you're you're at a place where it's just people looking for what you're offering, right? So there's. There's things like that that happen too, um, but yeah, I think a, a major online studio where somebody is like a proactive LinkedIn, <laughs> your personal proactive LinkedIn or whatever, totally, behance, yeah. that's just I'm shooting ha- out like, hey, this I'm looking for jobs every day, and then if I see a job and I know it's like Joby style, I know Joby's open for it, I will send that email and I'll say, I got an artist for you. Uh, this is their turnaround time. This is their rate. Um, you know, hit me back up. We have this, you know, track record because we're a, a established company or whatever, right? It's not just some guy on DeviantArt that may run off with your money. It's like an actual studio. And yeah, there's there's a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of safety nets on both sides of that. Something like that happening. I'm also thinking of places like hire an illustrator and stuff, but I don't know. You hear mixed reviews They've about They're not hiring an illustrator anymore. I don't know what they are anymore. Oh, okay. Well, uh, we'll look into that. Um, I hear mixed reviews about them in terms of like how much work they're actually doing, but I don't know. It, it's, it seems like there's gotta be something there. Maybe there's like a good reason why you don't see more of it other than yeah. just like, I mean, yeah, it would be true. a lot of work. It would be a lot of work, you know, for like the person that is going to be the face of that. 
and making the effort to you know like like find the work for the artist like somebody's gonna want to really do that you know or you know it's going to take like a really smart entrepreneur to put those two things together you know the person that has like the 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 marketing and the business savvy with all of the artists you know like uh, a lot would have to come together at once so as i'm thinking this idea out loud i can see like why it doesn't happen more often but also it's like damn that should happen more often <laughs> like there's well you know what i th i think another thing too is probably that the studios because you mentioned the studios earlier i think the studios go out and they um they find their artist right so it's like if you t if you have a group of people that don't know their self-worth to charge enough <laughs> and then you have a big studio say hey we like that your eyes are just going to glaze over and you're like riot wants wants me to work for them um that might be like i have no need to find us i have no need for this this uh studio that goes finds me work because they're already coming to me right so yeah I, I don't know what it is i think maybe you're right on a lot of points that there's it would take so much work and it would it would have to be probably a team of incredibly savvy people you know you'd probably have to have some kind of investor, some kind of legal team, some kind of, uh, I don't know, three or four people that are just working to find uh, leads, whatever it is, jobs for their artists. And then, and then can you take enough off the top that the artist still gets paid handsomely and you're rewarded for your work that you want to stick in the art industry versus being like a Hollywood talent agent, right? Or something like that. Yeah, I think this is something that uh, needs to be thought on, uh, like in a di private Discord or something, rather than uh, sp just spoken aloud for the next hour, because this could conversation could go on for days. Yeah, I think it's a good conversation. But what, you're are, right, you, what are you trying to say, Moose? I, I'm not. I... I'm trying to say we have about 45 minutes left when we have a lot to cover. <laughs> oh, I thought we were going for 24 hours with the interview. I, <laughs> I, I, I had an idea for bringing it back around. Don't worry. I, have faith, man. Have faith. Um, uh, sorry, I'm an atheist. Oh, there's so many places I could take that. But uh, so plans to continue in the comic book world, Steve. Um, you know, you said before it's always been comics and that's sort of like your your passion. You know, so I assume that for the foreseeable future, that's what you want to be doing. Uh, like, do you have uh, dream jobs or projects you know like in, in five to ten years what's your you know your your big aspirations uh i definitely have my own stories um but i just, i was never a very good writer which is kind of the awesome thing about twitch is i've hooked up with some people who are amazingly talented right now i'm i'm focused on um the current books of the Derek chronicles and i'm just kind of trying to be just kind of trying to get the art to uh, elite level, I guess you'd say. Um, I think I think once I feel like I'm there, I, I know that's probably like a trap in itself. All of us artists do. Once I'm good enough, uh, once I'm good enough, then I'll think about that that dream project. But yeah, I think I think just being better. Um, I think we talked about uh, playing around with the 3D modeling stuff. I've been getting into learning Blender uh sculpting and, and trying to do that and maybe uh now is now is probably an easier time than it has ever been to uh make your own games or make your own 
short movies or animations uh, with all the uh, stuff out there. So that's a little bit away from comics, but I think I think in lots of ways about tying those two things in somehow, maybe visual novel games, um, stuff like that. That's, that's kind of been on my plate uh, at the forefront is like, what can I do in terms of taking this comic and, and making it more animated or more, publicly accessible to people who don't like comics but like these types of stories before the podcast started um we touched on this briefly and you know and you mentioned that uh you had some more thoughts on it that uh would be worth saving until we were live um you it was a a a brief conversation about producing educational material or doing educational work as an artist Um, So I'm kind of curious, you know, what your experience with that has been in the past. Uh, What are your thoughts uh, for the future of that? Do you want to do more of that? What does that look like? Yeah, dude, uh, educational stuff. I mean, it just seems like the thirst for knowledge is the one product that everybody will buy into, right? Um, You look at YouTube, uh, TikTok for a while, TikTok was just maybe like a year ago, TikTok for artist was blowing up and it was you could teach somebody in a minute video how to draw a hand um and get thirty thousand views or whatever out of video right um youtube same way but then monetizing that uh with with paypals or not paypals but um what is it patreon. called kofi's yeah patreons uh, and kofi or coffee or however it said um youtube monetization Skillshare even is is huge. I think that everybody has a different way of teaching too. I I thought that I could never offer anything with teaching until I did my. I was doing critique streams. I think it was every Wednesday we would do like the entire five hour stream was just critiques, and I I really thought I had nothing to offer people. And this is something to say to everybody uh, that's listening to this: is your style is what you have to offer right um just because you don't think you're proco or or uh, raw straws or whatever uh does not mean that somebody's not going to attach to you and gravitate to you and learn something from you better than anybody else you could have taught them and uh hearing that really makes me think a lot more about how everybody should try to teach um not just the fact that you learn better when you teach, and I think that's kind of a proven fact by now, um, that you actually retain material if you're teaching it to somebody. But uh, there are people that just, they want your product as knowledge. Um, and they might find something in your style, your voice, the way you talk to them, the way you take time with them better than anybody else can do. And so... Uh, there can never there can never be enough teachers because that's ultimately that's that's our evolution as a race as a species is uh, learning shit from the people before us and and uh, yeah I don't know that's 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 a big market I guess it's my my big take on it is that everybody can try to teach and see what happens uh, if you don't think you're good enough to get a comic job or whatever or or any other job or you don't know how you can pop up a YouTube video and. And share your knowledge and somebody might just grab on to what you have to offer. The funny thing about this is, uh, while I totally 100% back people uh, finan- uh, financially uh, monetizing their 
educational content. I'm also thinking back to all the really unskilled artists, I'm just gonna put this nicely, uh, that made educational content and put it on like Twitter or uh, YouTube or something like that and totally let everybody else, let everybody astray. Uh, but at the same time, I'm thinking the people that are listening to this podcast are professionals and they sh should consider possibly monetizing their educational content. Um, I mean, you could even come up with like 60 second tips and put that on your TikTok and then link, say, towards the end of the TikTok, for the full tutorial on this or the full uh, lesson on this, check out my Patreon or my OnlyFans or my Kofi or whatever it is. I actually, yeah, I actually did a 60 second thing. Um, <laughs> I was doing the 60 second tips thing for a while, actually, because uh, I thought that was perfect for uh, TikTok and be like, hey, here's the longer video on YouTube. Check it out right here. Um, and with the one thing about, you know, I actually, that's a good point you brought up about bad content. Um, and like, I, I was studying some Blender stuff last night, and there was a, there was add-on that I really, really wanted to look good, and it was thirty bucks. And I was like, it's a little bit out of my range. What if this sucks? So I didn't go into it. And I think that's a people's big hesitation with a lot of Patreon stuff. But I think that's where like the offering free content, but saying here, if you want to support me, here's my here's my coffee or my coffee or here's my Gumroad. I I've actually done pretty well on Gumroad for not pushing it by just putting out my line work to color and I don't put a price on it, but I put a suggested amount of five bucks and I would say about 80% of people will pay that five bucks. I think with price. the suggested price, people think that that's the required price. So they just put that in. Yeah. But it's that's yeah, good enough. I, I think it's, that's probably possible, but you know what there's, they're doing it and, and ultimately it's still, I guess it's still free if they feel like it's too much of a risk or they won't like it. They can come back and re-download it and pay for it, which is what I like to do with a lot of stuff is like, just let me test this out. And then I I might even pay you double what it's worth if it's that good, right? Because I believe strongly in paying for it. Where do you promote your, your Gumroad? Because I, I I did a little bit of stalkeriness, you know, before the the interview and I didn't I didn't see it. You didn't list it in any of your links and I didn't see it come up. Like, how do you direct people there? How do they find it? Uh, I promoted it a lot during my Twitch streams. It's actually in my link tree, um, just because you run out of room on, on Twitter posts, you know, pin posts. So most of my stuff is in my link trees on my uh, main page of TikTok, main page of Instagram, main page of uh, uh, Twitter. I'll keep the main social medias like out of it, uh, but because I only have the coloring book pages on Gumroad, I don't push it super hard. Um, if I had like an ebook or something like that, I would make that absolutely like a main page, because I actually think that that's that's a really good way to do stuff. Is like here's my suggested price of what it's worth, but if you can't afford it, you know I understand, and I just want you to have this. Have um, you and that did really well? Have you not tried? Uh, have you tried to uh, put together a physical comic book or a Kindle comic book? Comic book? I mean, I'm sorry, not comic book, coloring book. Uh, I have not. I have looked into printing prices, and it's always been a little bit like we talked about the convention thing, because I've never crushed it at conventions. But if I thought I could crush it or I had a history of it, uh, that's definitely something that I am looking into. It I is, believe there is uh, a uh, Amazon version of this where they fulfill everything for you and they mail it out yeah, through the website. There is a, there is a KDP. Uh, my yeah. only issue with that was that I don't think I have enough original work, and I don't know how they treat fan art line work. 
yeah, I don't know. Like, I've I've seen more of it on Gumroad and stuff and Etsy, but uh, I don't know necessarily how Amazon treats it. So you were talking about TikTok, uh, and I was peeking in on that. Uh, a little bit of an aside, I found two TikTok accounts for you. <laughs> this is how. Oh yeah, <laughs> how creepy it how creepy it got, and and one does was he have a, a dancing account and an art account? Yeah, the no, one's they were, just for the one's were, just doing trendy dances and twerking. They were both they were both art, but I was curious like why you uh, abandoned one and started over. Oh, okay. So actually, the funny thing was TikTok had the way that they hooked people was uh, kind of uh, evil but smart. Um, they had a history of when you're new to the platform, your stuff gets pushed out much farther and much faster. And then they will throttle it over time, which creates like a sort of a, maybe I should post more. Maybe I should get on here more. You keep trying to get that hit over and over again. So my way of testing it out, because my first account just started out good and then it just died. It just, I mean, it was getting nowhere. I was getting two views compared to like 300. Um, so I was like, well, I'm going to start another account, test it out. And so I pretty much tested that theory and it proved out to be true. I went back to my original account because I would just wouldn't want to screw with two accounts. Um, once my second account started dying off again, I had, I had more followers on the first account. That's when I found out some uh, different ways to run TikTok at the time, which actually ended up getting me about 5,000 followers in a month. Um, and then they nuked that algorithm. <laughs> And the whole entire art community that was doing so good over there just just completely collapsed. It, though it hasn't been the same in probably like six or seven months. Long story short, that's why I had two accounts. Uh, went back to the first one, did great. Again, did better than I could have possibly imagined. Then they changed stuff up again, and now it's um, trying to figure out how to get that ball rolling because that was so good. It was so much better than any social media. So the uh, phone format videos, those work both on, well, all on uh, TikTok, YouTube Shorts, and uh, uh, Instagram Reels. Have you been cross-posting or just posting to uh, TikTok by itself? Uh, I just kind of focused on TikTok. I did a little bit. I didn't do YouTube Shorts. Um, I did Instagram Reels a little bit cross-posting. Once in a while, those would hit really good. But I think if you guys know, anybody knows the fight with Instagram, is you lose more now it seems like than you gain so it just it got so disheartening to get 10 followers in a day and lose 20 the next day um that i just i still don't even want to open the platform nowadays you know um so i just focused on tiktok i would suggest uh also look into uh youtube uh, reels sorry, youtube shorts because evidently uh, youtube has been promoting pushing hard um YouTube shorts. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. And also uh, I'm just uh, doing the short version of the spiffing Brits videos. Um, in addition to YouTube shorts, you want to use the community features like run polls. It could just be choose one a or B and that could be the entire poll and it boosts your, uh, your discoverability in the uh, YouTube algorithms across all platforms, whether it's full YouTube videos or uh, uh, YouTube shorts. Really? Really. What, what what does that look like though? Like, what are you polling exactly? Like, what? How does that work? Literally, you could just say, "What do you like better, the letter A or the letter B?" And then you just you... want to get interaction, basically. Yes, that's it. Okay. And and all right, 
you're thinking about this too hard, Joby. Okay. It's not supposed to be uh, something that... Yeah, it's yeah. just for the computer, the algorithm to... Computer, basically, right? <laughs> I'll, yes. I'll worry about this later. You, you could, are... in theory, come up with a better question like, uh, what <laughs> do you think is more important, honing your art skills or honing your business skills? And then have people respond by that. That's fine. But literally, it could just be A or B. And does that come up in those little, like, how they're doing, like, little, like, blog snippets or whatever when people, when you're scrolling your home screen? I have no idea. All I know is that, uh, actually, I think that's, that may be the case, but um, I don't scroll my home screen very much, but uh, I have seen that happen, so that's possibly it. But in general, it's just, they want to see uh, who's using YouTube's features, and then they promote those people that are using those features. That's it. That's what Instagram does. I've heard a lot too. Is that uh, I know I know that you can put that little slider on your stories. There's like a little slider with a smiley face. People can play around with it, move it around, and I will get two or three times more engagement on my stories um, if I have one of those in there. It's just kind of an exhausting thing to constantly feel like you're playing a little game rather than just posting your art, which is probably why. We're all bad at marketing. We need, to, we need a marketing agency um, that enjoys doing that stuff. But I've heard that with Instagram too, is that the more the more of your different features you are using, especially their new stuff when they push it out, uh, the more they will value your account because they want that stuff to be seen. Yeah. Uh, there was that one article we mentioned a few times in this podcast, the uh, why your reach or your engagement sucks on Instagram recently. And it was the... Uh, the one of the guys that worked at Instagram telling an artist how much activity they were expecting of them in order to promote their account in order to feed them more followers. And it was more than that artist was comfortable doing. It was like going live several times a, a week, uh, reels several times a week, uh, stories every day, a post every other day or a post every day, that sort of thing. And it was just overwhelming. That was like an entire career, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a job, man. To... But I guess that's their their money ticket too you know so well and then is that, more... is that all the new stuff you guys were talking about too by the way or did, did we want to talk about that uh so the other yeah. so that was the new so the new stuff is actually um that they announced they are going to deprioritize posts on instagram They're, they said quote unquote, pictures we are Photos. we are yeah post photo post we are no longer an image sharing website or an image sharing app that was their oh. quote yeah, They're still going to have it. There was, a, there was a Twitter thread by some marketing dude or PR no, dude. No, it's the head of, it's the CEO of uh, Instagram. Oh, that's the CEO? I oh, see, I'm stupid. But it's like the guy. And uh, he's talking about all of like what the new features are going to be or like what their new priorities are going to be. And he like listed three. Um, can't remember what the middle one was. But the three that he listed, it was like creators. And then the second one, and then the third one was video. And, but then he spent the most of his time talking about video and like how Instagram was like really pushing in the direction of video and you're left scratching your head. Well, what the fuck do you mean by creators? Cause creators, that's everything that's on Instagram is creators. So you're prior, supposedly you want to prioritize quote creators, but now you're doing all of this shit that makes it that much harder for them to. Yeah get any kind of benefit there was like 500 comments on this post uh 
and not one like I, I took the time to try and find like a positive or like an encouraging or like somebody that was trying to like rationalize the benefits of this decision. There wasn't a single one. I don't know if they were all like scared off and didn't want to comment because there was just like such fucking brutality <laughs> in the comment section. Everybody was just like, fuck you. You're terrible. Why are you doing this? Dude, it's so funny because every time Instagram makes a Twitter post, uh, <laughs> they will just get roasted. Like, and that is probably my highest Twitter post I've ever made was I was just salty one morning. I saw a post Instagram made on a Twitter and I just I just roasted him about like, uh, you know, it'd be nice if people like basically saw our stuff without paying for ads. And I think I probably had like five or six hundred, you know, retweets and likes. But every time they make a, uh, anything on on there they're just they're just roasted <laughs> to the point where it's like do you guys know that i mean i I guess they're not doing anything wrong if they're having a billion dollar ad industry every year that's all that matters right but yeah they're not talking to us that's the thing yeah, it's like they make they these they make these videos like they're talking to the users and they're not right. they're, they're they're talking yeah. to people that are going to capitalize on these things and they're talking they're to advertisers shareholders, shareholders. Right. yeah that's totally yeah. it it's it's dog it's dog whistles for people that are that can listen can hear the dollar signs and all of the things that this guy is saying it has nothing to do with anything that is good for uh the actual users yeah the short no of it is social awareness sorry moose the short of it is that um they are um, prioritizing video because people spend more time on the app if they're watching videos. And people engage in con with the content longer if they're um, watching the videos. So that means that in reality, what that means is they're going to be sent seeing more ads if they're watching videos than if they watch, uh, as they look at, scroll through post feeds. Because when you're scrolling through the post feed, you just keep scrolling. You're already in the action of scrolling when you see the ad and you keep scrolling past it. But evidently, they spend more time looking at ads if there's video content. And I imagine there might even be pre-roll or post-roll ads uh, to the videos if they push down this road like YouTube does, right? Well, yeah. you know, TikTok does – what TikTok does is uh, – and it's pretty ingenious because uh, they will make their ads, um, but they – whoever they – not TikTok's ads, but people who make ads for TikTok – they make their advertisements like a TikTok, so you are literally watching it for five or ten seconds before you realize it's an ad. It's really well done, and a lot of times they won't even. They have a little thing where uh, it seems to me like the paid promotion button that is under the ad that is supposed to tell you when it's paid promotion pops up a little bit later than it should normally. So you're just thinking you're watching a TikTok, and somebody's talking about something that they love, or they're making a goof on it. And I think that's probably what they're seeing is that success. And that's what you're going to start seeing on Instagram is these sort of organic advertisements that you don't know it's an ad until you've sat there and watched it for 15 seconds. And then wow. the paid promotion pops up a little bit later and you're like, oh, okay. Meanwhile, uh, YouTube and Twitch, you are basically for all intents and purposes, legally required to have hashtag ad or hashtag pay promotion or some sort of clear signifier that this is not um, your free will speaking and it's something that you were paid to say. Yeah. Otherwise, you could be charged by the FCC. Right. And I think it, I think a normal TikTok user would probably have to do that too. I, I don't know for sure, but I think even with any of it, you probably have to. But a company 
seems to uh, be able to get away with it. Um, like I said, I feel like that maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just my phone is weird and buggy, but I feel like that paid promotion little button pops up about five seconds into a video uh, after you've been watching it and think it's actual TikTok. And they're like, oh, we're covered. We did it. It wouldn't but shock me if that was in intended. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's clever. I mean, I can't even hate on it. It's, it's clever, but I think that's probably why Instagram's doing what they're doing. Well, in a couple of weeks, we're actually going to have Dave Cave on, and we're going to talk to him about uh, Instagram for for a while. He's had a lot of success on Instagram, so we're curious to talk to him more about that. And I don't know. I've thought of it as the the conversation that you hear between somebody that uh, thinks that Star Wars sucks and somebody that thinks that Star Wars is awesome. And yeah. even the person that likes Star Wars is like, no, I understand that it sucks, but you still have to understand like why it's awesome. Um, <laughs> but that's that's in a couple of weeks. Um, coming back to YouTube, you you mentioned a little bit of that um, earlier, and I, I found your YouTube also, and it seemed like you had gotten some some pretty good hits there. Um, but like uh, most of the other artists <laughs> that use YouTube, it's sort of a uh, uh, a periodic consistency that you have with it. Like I could tell that like, yeah. okay, you had like a big chunk five years ago and then a big chunk, like two years ago <laughs> and a big chunk, like right. a, a month, three months ago. Where yeah. are you at? Where are you at with YouTube now? Uh, it's, it's kind of always been a secondary thing. Like when I get something to put on there, um, then I'll put it on there. Uh, but because, because this can't really be monetized right now, and I'm not at the um, sort of comfy position where I could just make YouTube. Um, but maybe, hey, maybe that's part of the flaw, right? Uh, it's just not thinking that way. But the focus is is more on studying. And even with, we talked about it a little bit about Twitch, um, staying away from Twitch a little bit more, you get to focus a little bit more on study and like, okay, I need to, I clearly need to be, get better more than I need to uh I don't know make make content but maybe that's maybe that's the wrong mindset you know now you got me kind of thinking like maybe content is what keeps you in the game to get better rather than getting better to hope that somebody's like all right now you're now you're good enough to make uh all the dream projects and all the dream money you wanted Oh, I, I would like, definitely advocate for for a healthy balance of both. I mean, I, I yeah, I don't think it has to be one or the other. Um, certainly, the m motivation to improve, you know, like kind of like knowing where your weak points are uh, and focusing on them, uh, it is important. And and I think that there's a a high degree of value in um, you know dedicated focus, and that might work different ways there's I, don't, I wouldn't say that there's like a prescriptive method that you know is like guaranteed to work for everybody for you it's like okay i'm gonna do this like hard charge of output then i'm gonna step back um out of the public eye and just focus on myself for a while <laughs> do, the, do the eagles retirement tour 15 right, times right and and some people you know they might need to go you know lock themselves in a hotel room for like three weeks or whatever and you do uh, focus on some kind of project. So it's like everybody's, I think you got to like be honest with yourself about um, 
what is going to work. And maybe, you know, some people are, are good at having this continual output and using that as leverage to, um, to improve. Um, there was like, I, I heard it once said that like, uh, your studies should be part of your next masterpiece, you know? So it's like, it's not like you study, 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 study. Okay. Now I'm good enough to make like a bunch of masterpieces. It's like, okay, here's this idea, this thing that I have conceptually, what do I need to study to make that happen? And then, then you, you kind of repeat that cycle for, you know, each iteration of a quote unquote, I'm using the term masterpiece, but I, I think you know what I mean? Like not, <laughs> yeah, whatever the, the, the pinnacle goal is or whatever, kind of like identify right. with what are right. the pieces that you need? Kind of like what you're doing with, uh, with blender. What are the things that I need? Uh, the tools in my belt that I need to make this next level happen. And how do I do that? Yeah, I, I guess, I guess that actually makes me want to ask you, you guys a question when you talk about studies, though, it's like, even with uh, output on social media that artists feel like they can't keep up with. Uh, man, it's so weird, because we think of terms of masterpieces and, and that final project and hiding everything away until that point. But I I more than anything, I love seeing artist studies, and I will eat up studies and sketches more than I probably do a finished book. And I don't know how. How do you guys think about that? Well, I mean, artists do sell copies of their sketchbooks, right? That's not uncommon. Yeah, yeah actually, I that, that that's to the point. Is like I own more of those than comic books. <laughs> yeah, I I think um, some of this is. Uh, a a question of um where you want to put it because depending on who you talk to um they'll tell you like oh well my sketches don't do good on x platform and then somebody else will be like uh well my sketches do really good on this one but not all of these and that's that's going to be different for you know for each person that you ask um i love seeing process as well and i find just personally like i find that uh that Twitter is good for that, you know, in terms of like, um, keeping a presence or, you know, if it, if the intent is to post to kind of like keep people engaged and keep people aware of, you know, what I'm working on and kind of continuing to tell that story, Twitter is good for that. Cause Twitter is m much more forgiving and open. It seems to like unfinished product. Um, and, and I, and I semi regret using the the word masterpiece i mean i was talking about something that somebody else had said so it's not really like my word but i also like to encourage people to not think about like well everything has to be a masterpiece you know it's like there there's there's work that you do um before you you know create something that's like super polished and like highly refined that is valuable and people want to see it um so don't like I would encourage people to like not get hung up on that, you know, that like it has to be the best thing that I've ever made before I show it to anybody. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a spectrum. And I think that there's places that you'll be able to put those things no matter really like, you know, what they are. Does that make sense? I, now I kind of rambled around no, a little bit. But. Uh, it makes total sense. And um, I guess I feel like I've, maybe hopefully haven't taken up too much time here talking about it, but uh, there was a really good uh, quote 
and a manga, like a how to draw a manga book or something I had years ago when I was a kid. Uh, it said the amount of time you spend drawing a page, that reader is going to look at it for three seconds. And they're going to be mostly looking at the eyes and faces of the characters and the words. And they're they're going to um, get the emotional impact of it. I think we've all seen art that's maybe super appealing to us. Like I look at Joe Mad, um, Ludo Dulabi is another guy who worked. He works on the Darksiders and uh, Hearthstone stuff, and he's on Twitter. Um, and I, he'll post his sketches up, and I just I will stare at those, and I will just absorb every line in those drawings. But most of the time, those masterpieces you're trying to make, it's just once you get the story and the emotion of it down, it's done. And I don't think we think about it that way. Like, uh, and maybe that's why sketches can do so well too, because you can get that, you can get ten times as much stuff out out of your mind and create it and keep going with it. Uh, you know, I was working on a Blender project even, and uh, man, I just spent forever on these little tiny bricks, and the final render of it is just like people didn't really probably look at that. You know, that at time I spent making a dagger trying to render this dagger and get it all shiny with a texture map on there. They just looked at it and saw, was it a cool room? Did it tell a cool story? Did it give them a feeling? I, sh I could have stopped there once that feeling was complete. And that would have been that, you know, quote unquote masterpiece. And nobody would have looked further into it because once we get the emotion from it, that's, that's all the human experience really needs. It's like that emotional saturation and it's done, but we want to, uh, paint that goddamn candle <laughs> you know in the corner of the room that's sitting way back for the next six hours and figure out all the light reflections and stuff um so maybe that's a trap that we fall into along the same lines um with uh just talking about like skill level improvement that you're focusing on um it may be that at someone at your skill level which is relatively high for well, pretty high for those who aren't familiar with your work um you have a lot of skill. You're highly skilled. Let's just put it that way. Um, and so the areas that you we think that you would need to spend your time may not actually be the most effective places to put it. Like it may be uh, someone for you or someone that's a high skill level to find someone that's in the area that they're, uh, that they want to pursue and ask them like as a mentor type of uh, figure, what do I need to work on to get to where I want to be? then have them help you find that direction so that you don't think, oh, I need to spend more time working on perspective, but have them actually say, no, your perspective is fine. What you need to actually spend your time working on is whatever, whatever it yeah. may be. That's, that's, that's a really good point. I remember uh, Greg Capullo said on Twitter, uh, I think it was Twitter or maybe he had a YouTube. Capullo and Todd McFarlane actually have some great um, Comic-Con lessons they did at conventions uh if you guys go look for those but um i think he said go through comics and look at how many times you see um whatever it is you think you need to be learning versus how many panels of a comic will you see the face and the hands uh and maybe like the upper three-fourths of the body it's not that you don't need to learn the rest of it but there's that 80 20 rule to everything. It's like if you can get what an 80% of a comic book would include, then you're doing it that much faster and that much better. So uh, 
that's actually a really good point that you're that you're bringing up is like focusing in on whatever it is you want to be doing and then what is the the few things that this whole industry or skill set uh that you see over and over and over and over again that the elite people are doing not the small things those will come later but let's get the big things in there and as far as uh you can mix that in with social media also like once you have your direction or if you're still continuing on the same direction you are now you can let your followers in on it you can say hey guys i feel like i need to work on x here's me gonna be working on x for the next few months and then mention that in every single post you make it's in that series say hey i've been working on blank you can check my progress in the in my prior feed but here's the next installment here i thought i did blank this is the thing i need to work on next time yeah it's probably a good point too right just just narrowing your focus down in general probably applies to a lot of stuff we've said is uh, becoming a specialist and not running into burnout and getting the most out of your mileage well, yep, and then repurposing it yeah, uh, that being said, I, I, I always like to advocate for the jack of all trades too, because you know that's yeah. a place that I often find myself, or, n- or not even so much like a jack of all trades, but um, not wanting to commit to like the thing, like this is the thing that I want to do, or this is the thing that you know, because um, there's 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 lots of things. You know, if there's like multiple projects or like multiple ideas and maybe they're all kind of of a different sort, that that's all right, too. You know, maybe that might impinge on, uh, I don't know, like notoriety or, or whatever, you know, because maybe the, the people that um, have like the thing that they do have a slightly easier road towards being like known for that but then it's like then you're into that whole question of like well are you doing this to get known are you doing this for satisfaction you know is there like an audience for it like what what is your like what is your real motivation ultimately yeah uh, i mean well even with you right because you did the tattoo stuff but then once covid hit you were able to fall back on the D D stuff which you're i don't know how many people i would send over to your <laughs> your social media your chat because like i i remember thinking like this guy's a tattoo artist but then like the seeing some of your D stuff was just blowing me away constantly uh but you had that skill set to fall back on once one thing i assume i assume one thing was shot down right yeah yeah and thank you for that uh, i wasn't aware that that had been happening so let me take this moment to say thanks for doing that oh yeah um i mean the yeah for a while before even uh covid hit um i had been wanting to bring in uh, more different things besides just like tattooing uh covid just sort of like presented this opportunity and be like oh, no, no, now you have to <laughs> so yeah that was uh uh a sink or swim kind of thing but uh, this like very bizarre type of blessing in disguise where um and you know now it, it serves the dual function of being able to make a living and then also being able to um explore types of art that i wanted to make more not just the D, you know but like uh, or the D commissions but you know personal art illustration in general you know so um you know the lesson that i that i took from that is like especially 
as I'm getting older, <laughs> man, it's like, fuck, you, you see it coming faster and faster. There's only, not to get like morbid, but there's only like a certain number of like drawings and paintings that you're going to be able to do. So like get serious yeah. about what those are going to be. You know, what are the one, like, uh, what are the ones that you're going to want to look back on and, and, and be like, I'm, I'm happy that I did those. You know what I mean? Good point. That living with regrets type of thing. Like don't, don't leave anything on the table type of, type of mindset. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess it, I mean, not, not just like, well, don't have regrets, but like, um, if there's only like a certain amount of paintings that you're going to be able to do between now and like when you die, what are those? What, what do you want those to be? You know, like, okay. Yeah. So does that make sense? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like it's like, you got a list. You can't do a hundred things, but you can do 20 of them really good. You can make those special. Um, what are those, what are those 20? And then if you get through those, you know, then you got the rest of the list, but let's focus on those ones that you that you really want to make happen. I think that's what you're trying to say. Yeah, and again, you know who they're for, you know who is the audience, you know is it are you uh, are you doing them, you know, for the Instagram audience and that you think that this is like what they want to see or this is something that you're like actually like feel you need to do. Um but uh I you know we're coming up to a point I think uh that would be a a good uh, wrap up um unless we like didn't touch anything that you that you wanted to uh well we could talk about permaculture for a couple hours we've been, <laughs> <That's>, meaning, <laughs> we've been whole, meaning to do that for about three years now i know man that's a whole other podcast we, we got to do yeah we might lose everybody and might have to go over to youtube for that well it turns out uh steve sketches and his wife are really interested in that as well oh really yeah they're moving down yeah. to um down to the uh oregon area because it seems to be more popular down there than it is in Seattle. So people weren't serious about it before the pandemic. They, I'm sure they had to look long and hard about the way we're doing stuff now. Artists but, uh, and permaculture, man. I'm, sure. I'm, I'm down with that podcast. That'll be a little extra ep- midweek episode. That will be. <laughs> That's for the uh, only fans, everybody. Moose, did you, have some, did you have something uh, that you wanted to add in? Sure. Um, I just want to ask a quick question. Like, um, for a little while you were doing streams like 10 times a day. Like you would stream, you would raid, you would stream, you would raid, you would stream, you would raid. And then you uh, basically dropped off the face of the earth as far as I was aware. So uh, I just wanted to check in to see if everything was okay. Yeah. It just got, I, my goal was for that summer that I was going to uh, treat it like uh, I did any other job. You know what I mean? That I've, I've worked, had to work double shifts and everything else for right? Um with the idea that COVID would have ended sooner and I would have a much better chance of getting back to conventions. So I did that. It was, it was fun, but it was a huge burnout um, for an introverted person. And then uh, some family priority stuff came up. And then I think just in general, uh, like I think we talked about wanting to study and focus a little bit more and run chat a little bit less because i think y'all know from streaming it's kind of a social engagement more than um you get to work and i i started getting to a point where i felt the the working was 
the being away from me too. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to bounce that. I've tried off and on over the years to bounce that. And I, because I love, like, I love talking the stuff we've talked about, philosophy and stuff like that. Like Joby said, permaculture, man. We could we could ramble on that shit. And uh, but then you find at the end of a fifty-hour week, you've done a couple sketches, <laughs> and it just it it needed to take a little bit of priority. If I can figure it out, I'll probably be back. But I had a lot of fun with you guys uh, during that course of time. But we were you're right, we were grinding hard. I think it might just be a case of possibly trying less hard, like just say, hey, I'm gonna have two hours uh, instead of like ten hours a day. Hey, two hours a day. You have that window in there. Say, hey, come out with hang out with me for these two hours every day. So I'm gonna be alive from uh, three to four every day. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was a tough thing to figure out too. So we, we used to talk about it with a lot of people. It was like, if you can't stream more than three hours, it kind of feels like you're not. It's not worth it. But also, uh, and just not to. I know I ramble on a bit, but the other thing we kind of realized through talking to people is is and for anybody else who's who's struggled with streaming and getting your numbers up, you stream for years and you can't get above, you know, 20 people and you can't get above 30 people and then whatever it is, 40, 50, you know, you're just struggling with that ceiling. I I was on here when a big stream was 10 people, you know, a big Twitch stream was 10 people. And I remember that those days. Um, and now you can come on here and you it's a lot easier to get 10 people than it was three or four years ago and three or four years from now it might be a lot easier to get 50 people so in that term i guess mentally i i stopped prioritizing twitch as much as i realized it is far easier for me to bring an audience to twitch than for me to get an audience on twitch and bring it somewhere else because none of my twitch following has stuck to other social media quite the same way as having people from Instagram or comic conventions or TikTok follow me over to Twitch, if that makes sense. I think um, uh, with uh, Twitch, it's um, it creates quality fans, right? So Yes, yes. It, quality it, it, I, I would agree with that. It's very personal um, getting to know the streamer. But I think as far as uh, mental health and work workload, um, it's it's going to be easier, I think, to build a following other places and bring it into Twitch because I've seen that happen with so many artists. Uh, if if you're this is this is speaking from if you're burnt out, if you're loving Twitch and doing great, then ignore all of this. But um, but yeah, I think it's easier to bring an audience from other places into Twitch, and I've seen that happen many many times with many many artists uh, that they will build and and probably like for me less stress to just post on social media. Uh, or even if I get time to make YouTubes, that's probably a smarter thing for me to be doing. And then you can always come back to it later. Always come back to it later. Because um, I don't think this platform is going anywhere. In fact, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so um, if you're stressed on it, I think it's uh, just something to consider that over the years I've seen people, I've seen audience, average audience size grow and grow and grow. And I've seen people bring in audience um, rather than get famous on Twitch and take it elsewhere, if that makes sense. Well, the weird thing is like uh, even people like, I don't know, Raw Straws or um, Modern Day James, they stream on Twitch, but Modern Day James gets like 
10 to 30 viewers on Twitch and yeah. Ross only gets hundreds, whereas his YouTube videos get millions. So Yeah, I've actually seen Ross up in the four or 500 on a regular basis, but you're right, because he, what would, what would he be at if he started on Twitch versus YouTube? Um, you know, and there's always those anomalies where somebody can, can blow up, you know, uh, from like, man, Brock's, if you guys don't know Brock's, he's a woodcarver and he's, such a sweetheart of a dude and he brought over 3,000 people to me one night and for a creative session that is insane. Jim Lee does it for people too. Uh, but yeah, it's that's an anomaly and having those views stick around for the amount of time that you have to put into streaming and talking on stream and reading comments um, and, and you generally care about those people so you don't want to ignore them, right? But it can be an overload. That's, I guess that's my basic long-winded explanation of it was, I think I can do this more efficiently if I come back to Twitch later, if it's worth it, um, by building an audience somewhere else or getting with a company or somebody else that promotes me. And then I say, hey, I've got this pretty good following. I feel comfortable bringing it back into Twitch Creative rather than going the other way around. So uh, generally the way I think about it, I think we talked about this last week as well, but uh, there are some platforms that can collect followers for you. That's YouTube. They have a f way for people to find you. That's Google. So if you ha had a blog, you could use SEO for people to find your blog that way. There's Pinterest that has an evergreen algorithm that will always show people your content, stuff like that. That's how you can grow an audience there. Um, but with places like um, Twitter, or um, Instagram, uh, your own personal Facebook page, that's where you have to bring an audience to them. Otherwise, they're not going to grow very fast. You have to rely on pe you finding people to bring to you is the problem with those places. You have to actually reach out to find those people. It's that's kind of a shame because I think Twitter could be so good, man. It could be so good. That retweet option, you can see what people are liking. People are on there for news, regardless of seeing art. I, I want Twitter to be so good. I just I can't give up on Twitter, but I, you might be right too. Well, with Twitter, it's uh, you basically treat it like a, a chat room, right? You have to yeah. treat you have to have conversations with people that you want to be interacting with. You want to interact with uh, Carla Ortiz? You can, and you can re talk to her every time she posts something. And then you know. Is she ever going to retweet you? Probably not, but she might sometime if she yeah. follows you, right? Yeah. Uh, Carlo Tease is a, a probably bad example because you know she's probably being spammed with people and uh, and may not have the need to network with other people the most of the time. But uh, you can think of your peers, right? You can you can network with Joby every single day, and then that's the only reason I'm on there. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, but through that those interactions with him, like you replying to his posts, you liking his posts, and occasionally retweeting sometimes when he sees your stuff he'll interact with it etc and that's how you beat up uh, build up your, your following in the algorithm so that it can then start prioritizing it to other people and say not just uh retweets but also other people seeing that they commented on it or they liked it i've right. never been yeah. i've never been the topic of conversation so many times on an on an episode of this podcast it's incredible. that was my whole goal was to uh, just <laughs> but <laughs> just twitter get... Twitter, I kind of see the same as uh, as Twitch in some ways um, in terms of that, like, community aspect. Like, I mean, there are some people that, like, 
blow up and certainly in like different spheres outside of art, but like more just like art Twitter. Um, it seems a while. And then like, depending on who you ask, some people would be like, Oh, fucking art Twitter is garbage and it's terrible. And yeah, there's like a lot of toxicity to there. I'm not going to like, uh, hand wave that away at all, but just in the sense of like, you can find a community there and like, you can find like friends and you sort of can cultivate those relationships. Um, as opposed to it just being this spray and pray kind of thing like Instagram is or whatever, you know, or TikTok where there you don't, there isn't really going to be like uh, resilient connections that get developed there. So that that's kind of what keeps me on Twitter. I like seeing familiar faces and I like seeing uh, familiar content and then exploring new stuff. You know what I mean? It's like it's got lots of neighborhoods to it, it seems like. Yeah, I have found I have found more artists uh since spending more time on Twitter that I probably would never have found anywhere else, you know what I mean? It's just it really is good for that and I think there's that when you go viral on on Twitter versus uh you can't really go viral on Instagram now. I don't think that that I know of uh TikTok you could, but Twitter seems like the one place that you can still pop off if you hit the right fandom. And I I know we're going over, so um, man, there's so many things I I love talking to you guys about. Um, like I think we kind of mentioned the NFT stuff, and uh, but like I want to talk about the um, maybe ask you guys what you thought about retweeting, because I think that it's taken a little bit less priority. I noticed for myself I don't retweet people unless they mention or share my art. I keep my art page about me, and it sounds selfish, but I've noticed that. Um, the people I would retweet, their tweets wouldn't really seem to do any better versus just when I would like them. I see plenty of stuff that people just click like on. And my stuff that was getting retweeted didn't seem to do any better than just having people like it. Um, and I don't know if you guys have found that too. So I stopped so retweeting completely and just keep my art page almost like a gallery. Because when I go see another artist, and if I scroll through them and see a bunch of retweets, I, I don't know what they're doing if I want to follow them, right? So, so I I've, wouldn't, I wouldn't put too much uh, emphasis or hope into retweets on uh, Twitter. Um, just look at this one viral thread that I had. I think I've referred to it a billion times on this podcast. People are tired of me referring to it, but the uh, uh, the art business uh, tips uh, thread I put up there, it has two million impressions at the moment, um, and a hundred thousand engagements. Uh, 20,000 likes, um, 8,000 retweets. And out of it, I've gained about 1,000 followers, which is pretty insignificant in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, so, compared to 2 million? Or uh, 20,000 or 100,000 people. Uh, Those, yeah. that, that's what I consider a big following on Instagram. 1,000 is pretty par for the course. So my following now is average, which is really low. Yeah, but I think, but I also think that there's like some predictability in that, no matter what it is, that there's this. I don't want to say threshold, but uh, you know, like how many people visit your store before somebody buys something, and how many oh, like that ten percent rule. Yeah, there's like there like no matter like what's going on, there's uh, it's just what 
extravagantly more people that are going to blow right by it than the people that are going to um, have some kind of like lasting impression or connection with it. Um, and I think outside of or in instead of uh, going viral uh, or in lieu of going viral, when we can't when that's not an option and we're just like normal everyday posting, I think it's just a matter of consistency. And I think that retweeting um you know as part of that what i've heard and the impression that i've got is like comments are really important uh you know so like if you love something you see something that you really like on uh on twitter i take that extra second even if it's just like an emoji like you know slap a little emoji response on that because the comments twitter has this like ratio system you know where it's like if you get a lot of likes and a lot of comments then it'll like boost it up even more and depending on like what the ratio of likes retweets and comments is but um you know will have an effect and comments are a big part of that and you always see comments as like the last thing that people are going to like engage with a post on um but i always like try and mention that because i i've heard and i've seen it work that like that um that's a that's a thing there's also this thing that you can do uh one of our er, way early podcasts um uh, uh this guy that does uh, a lot of does a lot of uh D supplement creation uh drop the die he clued me into this thing where like you if you do a post at six in the morning you know or whatever your preferred you know time frame is for uh, uh putting up a post like six hours or however long from that you you retweet it and you can like your own post there's no shame in this game you retweet your own post and you like it and then another like three to four whatever hours after that (laughs) you quote retweet it and you're actually serving it to a whole new bed of people that hadn't seen it before it's not like you're just like spamming the same people with it because twitter does actually have uh, the option of a chronological feed and there is also still you know like people later on in different time zones are going to see it at different because of the way that the twitter algorithm works or whatever that's a serviceable thing just, and you're not going to piss off people that have already seen it just for uh completeness sake uh, before we wrap it up um you can also comment reply to your own post and that'll boost your own post in the algorithm and they'll see the old content and the new content hmm. okay i I'd, I've I've heard that um, from a couple people, and I've always been scared that I would like uh, what's that called blacklisting or whatever it's called, where shadow banning. I was no, always worried. shadow banning isn't really a Twitter thing; it's more of a uh, Instagram. Instagram, thing. even though they flat out deny it, it exists, I have evidence that it does exist. So I don't know uh, if I should listen to what they're saying. Yeah, I think it just they. I think people sometimes make bad content and think they're shadow banned, but I think there probably is definitely. I've I've seen too many posts that confirm shadow banning, but then I think anytime somebody bombs, they're like, "I'm shadow banned." <laughs> well, uh, uh, just uh, quick, real quick. Uh, I have uh, I was tracking the po- the number of engagements and the number of uh, likes and the number of uh, views from hashtags and all that stuff uh, as we were posting on uh, Steve's Instagram post uh, Instagram account, and after a little while, the number of views from hashtags just plummeted and went to zero when before it was like getting like 60,000 views per, for, from hashtags it went yeah. close to zero and it stayed there so if that's not shadow banning i don't know what is yeah yeah that's a good point 
Uh, well, dude, uh, two more questions for you. Um, where would you like people to go to find out more about you and your work? Um, well, hit up my Twitter and retweet me and comment on my work. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, uh, honestly, I, I'm pushing, well, in my heart, I'm hoping uh, to really get Twitter off the ground. Um, but that's where I probably spend more time posting daily sketches and stuff, even even my blender failures at the moment. But uh, all my social media, Instagram, it's all scuba's art everywhere. Art Station, uh, Deviant Art, uh, I think it's Darth Scuba, because um, I was edgy back then. <laughs> uh, TikTok, like I said, there's a scuba's art. Just scuba's art uh, is my main account if I ever post on there. But yeah, all all of it is scuba's art um, with a K S K O O B A. Um, and any any social media that is your preferred place, uh, or you can follow me on Twitch. And one day, if we uh, if we get the motivation to get back up and going here, uh, yeah, that's where I'll be. And all of those links will be in the show notes as well. So if you're listening after the fact, please click some of those. And our trademark final question, Steve. Aside from everything else that you're working on, professionally, career-wise, or uh, you know, personal projects. What's one thing in the world that's happening right now that you're excited about? You know, this is probably a, a man. That's a good question, dude. Um, it would either be the fact that somebody told me that Tool was uh, spending time during uh, COVID making new music again, and we don't have to wait 20 years for another album, or. <laughs> um, as a personal point of pride, I am actually kind of happy that um, there are uh, worker shortages with the uh, rates that people are paying um, their employees, especially like fast food groceries places. I'm I'm sort of happy if, if people are taking a stand against that. I know that's probably a weird political topic, but I the more I hear about people demanding more for their self-worth, I think... Um, it's kind of what we talked about with the art industry is, is I think people uh, demanding more for more quality, I guess, um, just all around is, is making me happy to see people see their worth and, and say like this, it's not worth it to spend my life doing this thing. And uh, maybe we'll get some changes coming out of this, like uh, seeing the, the need, the need or desire for things like universal basic income and, and a national healthcare system and, once those are in place, I think that people will feel safer, um, more taken care of, and less more able to pursue their passions. Like we're all getting to, right? We're all working hard, but it's uh, we know. I think we all know it'd be different to go back to those jobs we hated. Um, so I'm, I'm, I guess, I'm happy seeing that those changes, that progress. Well said, man. Um, I'll second all of that, and. Thank you so much, man. Uh, it was a great conversation and there definitely was more to talk about. So uh, let's plan. Let's plan on it happening again in the future. Dude, absolutely, man. I have so much fun just shooting the shit with you guys. We probably could have gone for another three hours without getting bored. Right um, on, man. Thank you, guys. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to wave goodbye to your icon before I hit end.